God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we come to you this morning and ask that you would increase our faith. Help us to trust you at your word. May we hear it with ears that are open to receive the truth that you have spoken. May we see it in the future to come. And may we glory and boast in Christ alone. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good job reading, brother. That was a, a good, good amount. Hopefully you listen well. You know what my favorite verse in Hebrews 11 is? I'd say it is probably the verse where he goes, what more can I say? Time is too short to tell about these things. That is the perfect preacher's verse, isn't it? I, I just need a little bit, five more minutes, last point, right? Uh, the author was indeed writing a sermon to this group of believers as they were receiving God's word to hear their instructions. As we come to God's word this morning, we're all seeking approval, aren't we? We all want and desire to be approved. Be approved by our family, be approved by our co-workers, be approved by our friends, ultimately be approved by God. How do we win approval in this day? How do we win approval ultimately with the Almighty? The author of Hebrews would say, by faith alone. And that's indeed what the reformer Martin Luther would say, is that we are only declared righteous by our faith in God alone and what he has accomplished. So, brother and sister, if you're coming here this morning, hear this truth, that your righteousness, your right standing with God, is only by your faith and not by your action. You can't earn it, you can't do it, but you can walk in faith that pleases God. Our main point for this sermon this morning comes from Hebrews 11, verse 6. That it's without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so this morning, I hope to give you some instructions on what it looks like to have a faith that actually pleases the Lord. What does faith that pleases the Lord look like? I have four ideas for you. The first is this. Faith that pleases God acts upon his word. That's point number one. Faith that pleases God acts upon his word. The second idea is that faith that pleases God looks forward. Faith that pleases God looks forward. Third, faith that pleases God is courageous. Faith that pleases God is courageous. And the last point of the sermon will be faith that pleases God is costly. Faith that pleases God is costly. Well, let's look at this first idea. Faith that pleases God acts upon his word. And we have to remember in light of where we are here in the book of Hebrews, what we just heard last week was this giant passage in which the author warned these Hebrews and then assured them. He warned them not to continue in continuous sin, right? To, to avoid the, the pitfall of repeating sin, acknowledging the truth, but not living by the truth. Those that acknowledge the truth but don't live by the truth are warned that the Lord will indeed repay justice through his vengeance. That God will get the final say of our lives. And so we need to hear very clearly that reminder that sin is indeed dangerous. That if we play with fire, we will be matched with the fire that is God's wrath. It is not a light thing to be in the hands of the living God. The hands of the living God will indeed execute justice either in his vengeance or in his embrace. 
Those that know Christ are embraced, not because of what they've done, but because of what Jesus has done. And those who hear the truth yet continue to deny the truth will indeed incur God's wrath. The message of the Bible is clear. Those that continue in sin are deserving of eternal separation from God. And those that have faith in Christ enter into God's kingdom through his embrace by faith alone. And the reminder that the author gave the Hebrews in chapter 10 was in light of all of these sufferings of their lives that they were to remember in light of the the warning and the promise that was there that God would be with them. God would be with them if they exercise their faith. And so in Hebrews 10, verse 35, it says, So don't throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you need endurance so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what is promised. For yet in a very little while, the coming one will come and not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith, and if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. But we are not those who are drawn back and destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. So after his warning, he gives them this exhortation to keep on in the faith, to exercise their trust in God. And that, therefore, builds the context of what we're seeing here in Hebrews chapter 11. This passage is often called the Hall of Faith. It gives us a bunch of Old Testament characters and people to look upon to see their example of faith. But it's not just a giant list. It's a list that's connected to a context in chapters 10 and in chapter 12. So when we come to Hebrews 11 and see a faith that pleases God, it's in light of that last verse in chapter 10, verse 39, that we are to be those that don't draw back and enter into destruction, but those who have faith and are saved. Persevere, brother or sister, in Christ. How do we persevere? By following the example that is indeed before us. As a young Christian, I didn't value a lot of church history. I know many of you that know me may be surprised by that because I'm a church history nerd now, right? I used to be like, ah, that's just the way we always used to do things, right? You hear that terminology, you hear the phraseology when somebody says, we've always done it that way. There was something that just bubbled up within me that immediately led to anger and disgust in my heart, right? Where it was like, oh, here we are just stuck in tradition, stuck in these ideas. But friend, if you're coming with that attitude this morning, You need to hear through God's faithfulness through the entirety of the Bible that there are people we can look back upon in history, in time, in the scripture, and learn quite a bit from. So don't have the arrogant posture that I did. Come to God's word this morning to hear from these examples. We need a faith that pleases God. The first example of faith that pleases God shows us that we need to take action at his word. In verse 1, the author defines for us what faith is. What is faith? Faith may be a Christian term that's like a little bit of a buzzword that we toss around and throw around in a way where we say it, but we don't actually define what it means. Well, praise the Lord, we have provision right here in the scripture of what faith indeed is. God's word tells us that faith is the reality of what is hoped for. The reality of what is hoped for. The proof of what is not seen. So faith is an exercise of trust in which we see a reality that we hope for and a proof that we cannot visualize with our eyes. It is an exercise in which we trust someone 
in which their promises we can't ultimately see. And it tells us in verse 2 that the ancestors won God's approval by their faith. So we see these few examples in the first seven verses. We see the example of creation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. We exercise faith in the fact that God is the one who has created the universe. We understand his creative work we believe in his creator work, creative work and trust in his promise. So then he gives us the example of Abel versus Cain, Enoch, and Noah. And so we see first Abel. Who is Abel and what did he do in the Bible? We're going basically from a portrait from Genesis all the way through Malachi, the end of the entirety of the Old Testament. Right, so first is the example of faith that is Abel. It's interesting that the Hebrew author does not choose Adam as an example of faith. Not the first example. He chooses Abel as the first example of faith. And why is that? Well, if we follow through Genesis, Genesis 1 and 2, the creative account, Genesis chapter 3, what happens in Genesis 3, friends? Go ahead, say it. The fall. Thank you. Very good. Very good that you, you remember the big picture of the Bible. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration, right? God created the world, humans fell, that is, we rebelled against God and incurred God's wrath, which was an eternal separation from him. We did something that was displeasing to him. But in Genesis chapter 4, we see Abel as this example of someone who is doing something that's pleasing to the Lord. He offers up to the Lord a sacrifice, a sacrifice that was better than Cain's. How does Cain respond to Abel's offering? Yeah, he, yep, it's not good. He's D-E-D, dead, right? Dead on the earth. (laughs) He kills his brother out of jealousy. But notice that it says here that Abel's offering was done by faith and that he was approved as a righteous one before God. It wasn't simply by his sacrifice that he was made righteous in God. It was that his sacrifice was to the Lord in faith of what he would promise being right with him. So Abel is one who was approved by God by his gift that he gave in faith. And his death continues to proclaim the message that he trusted in the Lord. Then we see the example of Enoch in verse 5. Enoch was described as being taken away, that he did not experience death. He was not found because God took him away. That's a quotation that we see in uh, our Bible from Genesis chapter 5. In verses 21 through 24, before he was taken away, it tells us that he was approved as one who pleased God. Well, we don't know much about Enoch outside of that the Lord took him away because he pleased the Lord by what? By faith. By faith. And then notice Noah. Noah might be the most tangible example within this idea of living out a faith that pleases God to us. Noah was warned, right, in in Genesis chapter 6, we're hearing that the world is growing in its turmoil and destruction. God chooses Noah, he sets him apart, and he tells him that he's going to destroy the earth by flood because the world has gotten so wicked, every man is set against him. And so Noah hears this warning of condemnation that's going to come through God's destruction, yet he receives the invitation from God 
to build an ark, and he acts upon that so that he can deliver his family. A faith that pleases God is a faith that acts upon God's word. Abel acted upon God's word to be fruitful, multiply, to have dominion on the earth. He exercised dominion in his sacrifice. Enoch pleased God by his faith. Noah trusted in God's word when he told him that something was going to happen. And a faith that acts upon God's word is one in which we hear the word, we believe the word, and then we act upon the word. Each one of these examples, we see that they were obedient. They were obedient because what that looked like for them was this dichotomy of what we see in faith and sight. They acted because they were looking to the Lord, not looking to the result. Looking to the Lord, not looking to the result. Often we look for tangible results. I want to see my growth, right? Well, I used to look forward to my growth in height as a kid. Now I'm just trying to avoid growth in my life, in my weight, right? You jump on the scale and it's a constant reminder of, uh uh-oh, things are not going the way that I want them to go, right? Got to lay off the double-stuffed Oreos, right? Yes, though they are a glorious treat from the Lord. Got to lay off of them. We like tangible results. We like to see things in front of us. But often the call of faith is not one in which we get to see what God is doing, but one in which we have to hear his word and trust him. Think of Noah in particular here. Think of how he has heard from God that he's going to destroy the world, so he tells him, build this ark. How was Noah treated when he told everybody that he was building an ark? They're like, you fool, why are you building this giant boat in your backyard? And he's telling them there's going to be a day that's going to come of destruction. He's looking forward to what's happening. He's heard from God, he's believing God, and he's acting upon what God has told him to do. And yet these people told him that he was foolish. Believer, follow the examples that we see here in the Old Testament, specifically in Noah. Hear God's word, believe God's word, act on God's word. Are you doubting God? Keep reading his word. Read the Bible. You can't know the person that you're doubting right now unless you actually dive into the book that tells you about him. Read the word, believer. Are you wavering in your faith? Are you just having a hard time going through the struggle? Read God's word. Read how God's people struggled over time, how they didn't have deliverance immediately, but often they had to wait on the Lord's timing. Read the word and find hope in the Lord. Are you assured in your faith? Do you feel confident in your faith right now? Don't get lazy into the temptation of thinking, I'm all set with the Lord. We are not New England spiritualists. We need to follow Jesus, which means we keep his word at the forefront of our minds and we continue to act upon the word. Keep hearing, brothers and sisters. Keep listening and act clearly upon what God says in his word. Stand up for truth. Stand up for righteousness. And don't give in. Hear God's word. Believe in faith that pleases God. Acts upon God's word. The second idea is that a faith that pleases God looks forward to what God will bring. It looks forward to what God will bring. We see this specifically in the example of Abraham. In the largest section within this chapter of people, of examples that we can learn from perseverance of faith, the author spends the most time diving into detail about Abraham. Abraham, Sarah, and Abraham's offspring. 
Now, many scholars who are debating who the author of Hebrews is may use this illustration to point to maybe some Pauline authorship for the book of Hebrews. They may have a point here. In Romans, Paul spends a lot of time talking about justification by faith through the example of Abraham. Now, that may be something, if you're into trying to figure out who the author of Hebrews is, you can take that little note, tuck it in your pocket, and research some more on it later. But nonetheless, there's a particular emphasis we can see here in the person of Abraham. Abraham's often known for his obedience toward God, right? Because we think immediately of the sacrifice of Isaac and how he walked up on the mountain. But what the author highlights here isn't just his obedience but the idea that he looked forward to what God had promised. He looked forward to what God had promised. Genesis chapter 12. If you have your Bible, flip over to Genesis 12 real quickly. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. In Genesis 12, God's word tells us that he's speaking to Abraham And there, he says to him, go out from your land, your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Notice the beginning of this promise and call that God gives to Abraham. Abram, go out from your land. Go to a place where I'm telling you. Okay? How many of you like taking a Sunday drive with your spouse where you say, hey, we're going to go for a drive? What's the first question that comes to your mind? Where are we going, right? right? We like to know where we're going. Yet God tells Abram right here, go out from this place to the place that I'm telling you. He doesn't know right away. He will find out where he's told to go, but he doesn't know right away where he's going. But he has to look forward in faith, trusting in the one who's speaking to him, the one that's promising him, verse 3, verse 2 and 3, that he will be the father of many nations, that he will bless those who bless him and curse those who curse him. He's got to look forward. So Abram obeyed God, and he set out to the place that God had said, It says in verse 9 that by faith he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, that he lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, the co-heirs of the same promise. It tells us that he was looking forward not just to a physical location, but a place that was the city that has its foundations as the architect and builder of God. His ultimate view was to be with God and to dwell with him. That was what he was looking forward to. And then in verses 11 through 12, we see the example of Sarah. Sarah herself was told that she was not going to have children and that she would have a child. She was barren, but she received the power to conceive offspring, even though she was older in her age. And as she heard this news, she considered God to be faithful to the news. And from Abraham, we see the offspring, the line of the seed of the woman who would continue throughout the rest of the Old Testament. Verse 13, interestingly enough, tells us that all of these, that is Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 
Sarah, they all died in faith, not receiving the things that they were promised. They heard the news, and they died without receiving what they were promised. They saw from a distance, it says. They greeted these things. They confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. But it tells us that they were not seeking what they could see in front of them, but they were seeking a homeland where they would be with God. A faith that pleases God is one that looks forward to what God is going to deliver. We see that even in the example of Abraham's offering of Isaac. But as we look at this, I want to highlight for one piece for us for application is this. If we think about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, were they all perfect people? No. Right? Like Abraham, for crying out loud, he gave Sarah up to Pharaoh. Right? God told him, go to this place. I'll be with you. When he gets to Egypt, what does he do? He's like, that's my sister. <laughs> it's not my wife. It's my sister. Because he's afraid that the people are going to kill him because his wife's beautiful. And Sarah, even the example that the author gives here, it's not that he's trying to go over the details of the Bible, but he's trying to keep the big picture in mind, right? When Sarah heard the news that she was going to bear a son with Abraham, she mocked God. She laughed at him. She didn't believe. But ultimately, she came to see God's faithfulness, and she trusted and rested in God's faithfulness. Jacob, he stole from Esau. He took his birthright, right? Because he was selfish and he wanted what was right in front of him. Yet God used Jacob. So a faith that looks forward, guys, is not a faith of perfection. It's not a faith in which you walk and you have everything absolutely perfectly figured out. It's one in which you falter, but you continue to be faithful. It must mean that we must be quick to repent as we exercise our faith in looking forward. We don't know what the Lord has in store for us. There are going to be moments of impatience within our hearts and our lives. Impatience maybe with our church, with our family, with our workplace. Maybe if we think particularly about our church, right? Last week I was telling you guys, hey, we got to be invested in this for the long haul, right? We've got to be in this together. There are going to be moments where we're going to aggravate each other. But guys, we have to be faithful and trusting in the Lord to build this church up for what he designs. So a faith that looks forward is not perfection, but a faith that looks forward is one that longs for Jesus' return. What is the context of Hebrews 10 and 11? It's the day of the coming of the judgment of God. Why does he give him the exhortations in 10, 19 through 25? Verse 25 tells us that the day is approaching. Why does he warn them of continuous sin and remind them to persevere by faith? Well, 10.39 tells us that the day is coming. In verse 37, it says, the coming one will come and will not delay. Friends, the day of the Lord is coming. Jesus will return, and he will reign as king. So how we live right now matters. It makes our faith and the faith that we live out all that more important. So let's look forward to the day that Jesus comes back, but let's live in light of looking forward, knowing that he will deliver. We're not perfect, but we know that the perfect one is coming. Rest in him. Trust in him. The third idea is that faith that pleases God is courageous. Faith that pleases God is courageous. We see the example of Moses. First, maybe the, the best example of courageous faith is not actually Moses, but his parents. 
Verse 23, after he was born, Moses was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful and they did not fear the king's edict. Remember, in Exodus chapter 1, Pharaoh made an edict across the entire land. He saw that the Hebrews were growing in number and in strength, and so he said that every Hebrew boy that was born needed to be killed. And his parents exercised faith. They trusted the Lord to provide for the baby that they were not willing to give up to the king. And that baby turned into the man who grew up, who refused to be called Pharaoh's son and identified with God's people. And that man chose to suffer with the people of God and to enjoy the the idea of suffering rather than the fleeting pleasure of sin. He considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater than the treasures of the wealth of Egypt. He was the same one who led God's people out of Egypt, who pointed them to the Passover, where God would kill the firstborn. The same decree that the king of Egypt made against the Hebrew boys was the the decree that God made against the Egyptians and all of those of the world. He would kill their firstborn because they tried to kill his people. God delivered. He passed over the, the Israelites because they were covered by the blood of the lamb. The blood that would cover us. The lamb that was slain in the person of Jesus. The picture is pointing us forward to what Jesus accomplishes. By faith, the nation of Israel crossed the Red Sea as though it was dry land. By faith, those same people marched around Jericho and they saw the walls fall down. They trusted in the Lord. A faith that pleases God is a faith that is courageous. It looks at the the edicts of kings and says, I will not bow down to you. It looks at these situations that seem monumental, overwhelming, and it trusts in God. What's your situation, brother or sister? What are you facing right now that feels monumental? Is it the stress of your job? The stress of whether or not you're going to be able to pay your bills? Is it the stress of persecution, thinking about what it means to be a Christian in your workplace right now? Trust in the God who provides. Be courageous. Trust him at his word. Faith that pleases God is courageous. The final point that we learn from Hebrews 11 is that faith that pleases God is ultimately costly. It costs us. It's not what the prosperity gospel gives to us, where if we give to a particular church or particular person, they will be blessed and will live this joyful life. It's not the idea of the health and wealth gospel that if we give to something that all of our health issues will be wiped away, that if we sow into something, we'll get richer, we'll live bigger. That's not the, the, the call of faith in the gospel. The call of faith in the gospel is a call of cost. Jesus said the world would hate us, that they would hate us because they've already hated him, that it would cost us our reputation, it would cost us our finances, it would cost us our sense of community. That's all the reality that these Hebrews are living in. They've been cast out of their community. They don't have any place where they belong except with each other. 
Ultimately, their only place that they belong is with the Lord. They're called to continue on. Why? Because it's worth it. They're called to give their lives. The examples we see here, right? What more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets. What did they do? By faith, they conquered kingdoms. They administered justice. They obtained promises. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the raging of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. They gained strength and weakness. They became mighty in battle and put foreign armies to the flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. All of this sounds triumphal and glorious, but then verse 36 turns it all on its head. Other people were what? Tortured, not accepting release, so that they may gain a better resurrection. They experienced mocking and scourging, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on the mountains. They hid in caves and in holes. But in verse 39, it tells us they were approved by faith. It cost them everything that they had. Everything that they counted is Glorious to them, changed in the gospel, changed in their hope in God. Faith that pleases God is costly. But faith, that kind of faith comes with a great reward, brothers and sisters. Verse 39, they were approved by their faith, and they did not receive what they, they were promised. But verse 40 tells us, since God had provided something better for us, so that they would not be made perfect without us. Man, what a long for promise. What a promise for us to long for. That in God, we would have something better than the treasures of the world. In God, by faith, all that we've sacrificed for, we would see worthy by only knowing Him. By being approved by him. We're all longing for approval. But how do we earn our approval with God? The Bible's answer to that is by faith. By faith alone. It's fitting that we're here in Hebrews 11 in the month of October in 2022. It's fitting that we're talking about faith alone as our justification. Because it was just merely... A few hundred years ago, in 1517, that the Reformation became this giant spearhead in which the idea of being approved by faith alone before God would be the spearhead of what it means to be followers of Jesus in the church. Not approved because of our works, not approved because of the money that we give, approved simply by faith alone in Christ alone. Brothers and sisters, there's a promise. That promise is knowing God and being known by Him. Is that enough to us? Do we exercise faith in what He has provided? Or do we hope that we can earn something that's just fleeting and dying away? Hebrews 11 says. Faith that pleases God takes action at His word. Faith that, faith that pleases God looks forward 
to what God has promised. Faith that pleases God is courageous. Faith that pleases God is costly. Consider these things. Walk in faith. Trust in the one who provides. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray now that you would help us as we look forward to the Lord's Supper. God, to exercise faith again in our remembering the sacrifice of Jesus, what he has done and accomplished for us. Lord, we thank you for the examples of those who have gone before us, who by faith have shown us the way to follow you, to glorify you, and to have our hope in you alone. God, we pray that you would help us to call others to faith and that we would together see what it is that you are building here in Hebron and beyond through the gospel for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we are going to observe the Lord's Supper together. We're going to do the Lord's Supper now and do giving after. As we come to the table this morning, we took the Lord's Supper last week. We arrive again this week. We had a 